Hey guys, Harrison here, and I know what you're thinking. Why am I coming to you at the start of this show again? Well, as you may have heard from a previous episode with Shane from Sugar Nova, we had a few issues with the audio. We had a similar issue with Sam from Sidaways Limited. Uh, as you'll hear in a second, same thing. We recorded in batches, so the issue didn't get noticed until I went to edit the shows. Um, so apologies again for the terrible audio on mine and Adam's side of things. Uh, again, it sounds like we're underwater. We're not an issue with gear, but it will be rectified. So hopefully you don't have to hear me at the start of every show that we jump on the mics when we have a guest on. Uh, but without further ado, I would like to introduce the show where we are speaking to Sam Andrews from Sidaways Limited. Sam, firstly, huge appreciation for jumping on the show. So the listeners of the podcast can understand a bit about yourself. Can we just ask you to intro you, the company, and selfishly, I want to hear how did you hear about the Startup Boy podcast? Sure. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I, I really appreciate it as well. Um, so I'm Sam Andrews. I'm um, from a firm of chartered accountants in Devon, Sidaways. Um, We've been going since 1990. Jeremy set up the business um, back in 1990 with the idea of providing great service to businesses in and around Exeter. Um, seeing the business grow to where we are now, 10 employees servicing companies all over the globe with more than 150 employees themselves. Um, I heard about the podcast. I was actually um, on honeymoon earlier this year. And um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and my other half was um listening to some some podcasts and i thought what what a good idea that is and what would i like to to listen to and i wanted to to listen to business podcasts and things like that and you guys were were top on the list that's that's good to hear so sam give me an idea of what sideways is and the sorts of clients you look after so uh we'd look after we we provide accountancy services and business advice for um for anyone from a, a small sole trader, so um, or even down to someone just doing a tax turn, they've got a few few share portfolios, all the way up to um, our biggest client, who we we are basically their finance function. So we deal with all their sales and purchase invoices. We do monthly management accounts, they have them by the fifth working day of every month, um, and they have offices all around the globe in. Australia, New York, Japan, um, and everything in between. So from established businesses that have been going, you know, 50 years to to most recently, we were helping out a lot of startup businesses, uh, mainly locally, but there's some a bit further afield as well. Oh, sounds cool. And just to give everyone a bit of context to what I want to dig into on this show, it's, it's sort of a two-part show for me, this one is, uh, you recently, and I say recently, you can correct me if I'm wrong, become a partner in the company. Is that right? Yes, that's it. So uh, a couple of years ago, we we bought a small stake down, and I, um, we've we've now bought an even more, um, and we're we're equal partners now, the four of us. Um, so we're looking really to to drive the business in the direction we want it to go now, for the next so ten years or so. There's something really interesting for the listeners in terms of one. As an accountant, where did you get the creativity to think, actually, I want to become a owner, partner of this company? So we'll dig into that. And the second part of this 
is for the listeners of the show, which is you obviously deal with lots of different size companies, but the guys that listen to the show tend to be sort of the one to two to three man bands starting out of business, and there's common mistakes that founders and startups make. So we've got a list of seven that we're going to dig into. So before we get into that, explain to me a little bit about why you decided to become a partner in the accounting firm and how that's changed things for you. I think I, naturally as a person, I, I like to, um, I'll say lead is probably more be in charge. Um, but no, I, do, I like to lead people. Um, I like to get involved in everything. So I think naturally that's just the way I've always wanted to go within a business. I was, you know, without a doubt, I'm very lucky to be in the situation I am in this firm with the with Jeremy and Sarah that started it. They look on, upon me and Dan favourably that we're the, the future for the business as well. But it's an opportunity that we both wanted to, to seize and it just felt natural, a, a natural way to progress, to be honest. Well, um, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just, just sorry to interrupt, but the game. No, not at all. Um, what is it? So you mentioned the chat that ran it with Jeremy. Did, did you sort of say, actually, Jeremy, knock on his door, listen, I want to become a partner of this. How do I get involved? Or did he sort of knock on your door? How did that come about? Because as people listen to the show, they think, I want to become an entrepreneur. I love startups, but I'm in a job. And I think a great opportunity for listeners is actually become a start, become an entrepreneur within your own company. How did you start that conversation? I suppose I've just... My role changed. I was listening to a, um, another podcast, and um, it's it's quite interesting what he was saying about just the um, the mindset of you just want to progress. It, you know that that's what's going to get you to where you want to be is just always aiming higher than than you are at the moment. And I think I've always done that to the best of my abilities, um, and. And no, it wasn't a, a knocking on Jeremy's door saying, um, give me something more or, or I'm gone kind of thing. It, I, hope, I like to think they just very much recognise that that I have been trying hard and, and Dan as well, the other partner, and that this was the best way for them to carry the business forward, you know, in, in the future to to keep it going, um, you know, long gone after that, long after they've retired. No, perfect. So one of the things as we've been chatting before we actually jumped on the mic is you mentioned something where you said every problem is my problem. Just explain to the listeners of the show what you mean by that since becoming a partner. Yeah, so so yeah, as the you asked me off air, you know, what's changed as being a partner and, and that's definitely part of it, is is that you know, there's been times in my employed career that there's a small problem and you kind of think, uh, well, somebody else's problem maybe. But now it's very, very much not true. You know, every little thing needs to be solved. And that's not necessarily me solving it, but it's ensuring that somebody's on it. And, and most of the time they are. We've got a great team here with us at the moment. Um, and it's just, if a problem is identified, want to get that resolved just marginal gains all the time is is really what i think is going to make the difference with us and conversely you know every success i feel is my success as well so anything that the team has done really well um individually you know everyone working together or or even just something i've done it's but everything 
you you get both sides of the coin now so but you feel a lot more involved in it and and that's not just and then i've said you know it's it's my problem or my success but it is all a, a team effort now and i really recognize that more now as well because I can't do half the things I do personally without the team and the team can't do half the things they do personally without everybody else. So we're very much all working together um, and that's the only way we're going to succeed really. Yeah, te- teamwork is king. Um, one, th- one question I had, Sam, is I know uh, when we spoke over email, um, you mentioned how the company that you've gone into is kind of uh, not necessarily old-fashioned, but obviously have their own have a way of doing things that isn't necessarily forward-thinking or thinking of the future. Now that you've obviously become a partner and have more control over like the outcome of the business, and that, what things are you trying to implement into the company to get them to do that they weren't doing before? Yes, yeah, so it was um, part of the. The landscape of accounting is is changing in that um, making tax digital is coming in, and that a lot more um, record keeping needs to be done digitally, and that's made us think about um, the software and the working practices that that we use in the in the office, and also how we how we suggest to our clients that they should work their accounting practices, and that's gone a lot more digitally, as I say, but that's then made more of a contrast between where we're going with that side of things and the rest of it like like the branding of the business and the website and all things like that so it's just made us take a step back and look at things in the round and and see where else we need to improve and that perhaps over the years as you say um maybe old-fashioned isn't quite the right word but it's it's that we focus Exactly, yeah, and I think we've we focused more on, on the, the great service that we provide and that is great and that will help us grow, but there's other aspects like the branding, the website, the office we're looking to refurbish as well, um, and fee structures and and social media presence. That that's going to help us, you know, get to the next level of growth. Really, completely agree. And I, I wanted to sort of keep on track, but I'm also going to go down this rabbit hole a little bit, which is you've changed your mentality because you feel like an owner in the business. One thing that I'm always aware of is obviously everything lands on my shoulders because I'm CEO of this company. And you feel that now because you're one of the partners. How do you think about empowering people within your team or your company to feel like owners, even when they don't directly own equity? Because I want everyone in my team to feel like every problem is my problem because we're we're one unit. I I think that's one of the biggest challenges that anyone faces that that's managing a team, and it's something that I've very much only just scratched the surface of at the minute I think and it's a, a big learning journey for myself and one of the biggest challenges I think I'm facing personally we've got a great team and, and we get along really well um, and it is just trying to give everybody a good level of autonomy within the office to to just you know know what they need to be doing themselves and we like to leave things as flexible as possible for for how how the team get to where they need to be or you know get jobs done on time and what order they do it in and 
and always open to suggestions for how to improve the process, whether that's better service or, or doing it quicker um, or more efficiently, should I say. There's, I'm, I'm just always open. Everybody knows that they can, they can come and speak to me with any little problem. And that's as far as we've got at the moment with it. And um, I really hope that is the case that the team feel they can speak to me whenever they want. But it's conscious in my mind that I always want to be looking at what we can do to, to make everyone more empowered. No, I respect that. And I think one of the things sort of we, we both align on this is creating that safe culture where I don't care if you've got a good or a bad idea, whatever it is, just bring it to the table. And then it's a safe environment to say, actually, I think we should be doing it this way. And if it's if we say, no, that's ridiculous, or we're not doing it like that, it's not a personal dig. It's, we just don't agree. We're creating that environment where everyone in the team can put their hand up and say, I've got an idea, and they feel safe to do so. Super important. That's it. And and if you've got a problem, you know, come to me with the suggested solution as well. It doesn't have to be perfect, doesn't have to be um the right solution, it just has to be something that you've you've applied your thought to. And that also helps me understand the problem if there is one. And vice versa, if you've got an idea, come to me with, you know, how that can be implemented. Because again, that gives me more more context and you can also gauge how passionate the the team member is about it as well. What you've just said, I want every single listener of this show to take away because it drives me insane. Just show people that you apply some logic and context and thought to the problem that you're dealing with. So regardless of the problem that you deal with, guys, who are listening to the show, if you're taking it to your wine manager, take it and say, here's this problem and here's one or two or three solutions. It might not be great, but at least shows that person you've thought about it. So glad you mentioned that. It's one of my biggest pet peeves. Someone comes knocking on the door and says, hey, this thing's broke. And I go, and? And there's no thought behind it. So make sure, <laughs> I'm just going to use this as a little wrap. It means the world to your line manager, your boss, your CEO, your founder, whoever it is, that you've taken the time to think about a solution rather than just give him another problem, give her another problem. Sam, you've become an owner. How have you managed to balance your time in the business to allow you to still get your day job and core function done while now feeling responsible for every other little problem and fire? that goes on the business because you probably feel like you need to put it out because you own the business. Yeah, it's the team we've got at the moment are great. They they um they recognize that that we're all flat out and and like I say they they come to us with with solutions when they have problems and and managing the workload themselves as much as they can. Um for me I, I'm an early bird. Um, I like to start early. I get most of my work done before nine o'clock, it seems, before the emails start. Um, and that, that really works for me that I spend normally the mornings doing the work that needs to be done um, to, you know, to meet client deadlines, to hit, hit our billing deadlines. Um, and the team know that, that, that I like to power through in the mornings. And then afternoons is more you know, answering emails, making calls, speaking to the team, having a few meetings here that here and there. That's not to say that that can't be done in the morning. Just, you know, if, if nothing's scheduled in, then I'm uh, head down, getting on with work and and just dealing with problems as and when they arise, if, if necessary. But as you became an owner, formally, has your actual job role changed or is it just now you own equity? Have you, are you doing something different in the business? Like, for example, as soon as you become an owner, actually you're responsible for something to do with HR or you're responsible for hiring that you weren't doing before. 
or is it a case of you're just doing what you do now, but you've got a stake in it? We we've been managing the practice for four years or so, I think, maybe a little longer. So, and then a couple of years into that, we've we bought the first stake, and then now we've bought a lot more. So, kind of from from buying this big chunk now, nothing has has dramatically changed. But from four years ago, it's it's kind of phased in from there that we started managing things and. And having our own little say on it, and then over the years, it's just organically, organically grown to to us having more and more influence and more and more confidence to to come up with ideas and and implement them. Really, no, really like it. So let's jump into the second half of the show because I know there's a lot of listeners that listen to this podcast that when they hear about accountancy, they're going to be thinking, "Oh, is this going to be boring?" I've actually gone through the notes that you sent across and I think every single one of them is super valid and the listeners of the show need to hear about them. So we're going to rattle them through. Me and Harry will take turns. So the top startup mistakes, as per what you say, Sam, so far, number one, over-ambitious sales figures which can lead to going in underfunded. What do you mean? So um, in a business plan that somebody's put together, it's, it's always good start if... Um, Somebody comes up, you know, a new starter, um, or start a business. So he comes up with their own business plan, even if it's just, you know, back of the fag packet workings to start off with. And then we we take that and we we put it into a a proper business plan format. And just often what we see is 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 people not being realistic with their sales figures and. Um, or income figures it depends what kind of business it is, and not scaling that in over time, and really justifying how that how that rampant income is is going to be achieved, and breaking it down to you know if it's a restaurant, just number of covers on a Tuesday lunchtime. You know if you if you break down into that kind of granularity, then you can work from that and flex that over a period of time, and often. Those sales figures, when once you do that, are lower than somebody would initially put in, and that's fine. You've just got to to have the plan there. So then you you make sure that you've got the funding in the business initially to ensure that you can achieve that sales growth, and you're you're not um, not stifled because you don't have the funds in the business. This one resonated really hard with me because I know how long the process can be for raising money. We've done it a couple of times. We're doing it again right now. And for anyone listening that is thinking about raising money, what Sam just said is so true. I'm a salesperson, so I'm fairly optimistic. So even our own accountants had to wind my net back in when I was like, we're going to hit these goals, guys. <laughs> so the time it takes to raise money is painfully slow. So making sure you've got the fundamentals right to give you enough runway to get to profitability, super, super important. Exactly that, Adam, yeah. I think the next one um, obviously resonates a bit more with yourself, some bit coming from an accountancy background, but being more interested in the bells and whistles, like getting a car, for example, um, than making sure of business fundamentals resulting in high overhead too early. <laughs> Slashing out too much too soon. Exactly, yeah. And then that, that links back with, with point number one with the sales. You're going to have that, that ramp in sales. So, and and you need the funding there, but the quickest way to get rid of funding is to to ramp up your overheads and 
and have too many things that you don't need that are relentlessly being paid out of the business on a monthly basis. Um, you know, salary costs are a big one of those costs, you know, overhead costs, but they're going to, should be in place to help you get the sales figures that you need. Um, other things, I've used the example as a car because that's quite a common example, um, but that's just not going to help you get to where you want to be initially. But I guess on the flip side of that, though, if, if for example, you need to travel around to make the sales, then you can offset the cost of the vehicle to, to cover um, some of the sales that you would get because you've had to invest in a vehicle. Yeah, but I'm just going to jump in there. <laughs> sure. because you can get like a nice Ford, clean Ford Focus, or you can go and get yourself a Jack. I think, what, I think what we're all saying right now is, listen, you're a startup founder. You need the cash in the Be bank. humble. Be <laughs> humble right now and don't actually be expensive. No better than this is like Harry trying to so the rain off. Off. <laughs> Let's get on to the next one because this is an interesting one for me. Not enough. This is this, this hurts me because this is my exact problem four years ago. Not enough emphasis on accounting systems, meaning financial deadlines are harder to achieve and plan. I.e., VAT registration, tax return, funding rounds. So just an FYI, I think I missed my first back return by about six months. I said, sorry to HMRC, we've got it sorted. My mum came in and helped me, and then we hired a qualified accountant to get me out of that trouble. Sam, explain to me the impact that this can make on a business if you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, so as I mentioned earlier, now the, the accountancy um, arena is, is very much more digitalized, and the software we, we use is, is zero. Um, that's cloud-based software um it can link up with your your bank accounts you it can be linked to other software to process receipts um automatically you know just take a photo and it's as easy as that so thinking about that now it's so easy to to do that from day one i, I appreciate it. I, i'm an accountant here and that's um my my train of thought but if you do that from day one we we've got data that's in the cloud that we can look at on a real-time basis from you know the first hour that you've opened the shop if you've got your till linked to the software we can be viewing sales right from the off and that helps us help the client um, and to ensure that like you say you you register for VAT at the, the right time and and we can file your tax returns on time and it's that those Meeting those deadlines, you know, getting that done in good time shores up, you know, your cash requirements. You know what your VAT bill is going to be and there's no interest or penalties on it. Um, you know when your tax is due and how much and 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 especially on the tax side of things, there's, if you're self-employed, there's certain things we can do. If your trading performance has got worse the year after, we can reduce your payments on account. And it's, but keeping your records up to date is so crucial to us or to anyone being able to to come up with those figures and help you out financially i think for one thing for me it's if you don't know your core numbers you're sort of going into next month completely blind so yeah. that month on month is super important also for anyone listening to the show that thinks i'm actually going to bootstrap this business prove that it works and then in the future i might raise funding which is sort of what i did i did consultancy bootstrap angel then vc the amount of work it took us to backdate all of our books to get them looking correct when we decided to raise some funding was painful. It added six to eight months onto our fundraising round because we needed to get our house in order. So if the amount of work it takes to get it done correctly from day one, I would strongly advise anyone getting that done because it's not super expensive. 
and it will save you a huge amount of pain later on, which I personally experienced, which kept me awake numerous nights. Harry, what's the next one? Uh, the next one we have is no business plan or a business plan on paper, but not focused on the end goal and how to get there. <laughs> so, I think that comes a bit back to what you're saying there, Adam, that you know, obviously you've grown organically and, and what you've wanted to achieve has changed over time, um, starting with the consultancy, etc. But if you're if you're starting a business, then it is a good idea to have a plan and that especially in you know um the the tech world these days that can often be an exit plan right from the off um but often there's a business plan that you can go to the bank to get some funding or or just for yourself as an idea of where you want the business to go but there's no no exit plan there's no this is where i want to be and when it's just this is how i imagine the business is going to be going there's nothing else there to challenge the business to go further. I think the way I want to summarize that one is if you don't know the target, you're never going to get there because you just flounder every single day. The, the idea of a business time for me, and I didn't like one for the first couple of years of the business, but it added some rigor into what I do as a business because as soon as you sort of can communicate what the business does and where you're going, is it helps you make every other decision. This isn't just necessarily related to your accounts. If I know actually, and I'm using an analogy from Richard Chappell when we went over to Gymshark, is actually we're going from London to Paris on a plane. Okay? Everyone needs to get to Paris. As long as we can have, get that plan in place, then the rest of the business can work out what they need to do to get there, but we're all going to the same place. And that's what yeah. a business plan does for people. So, next one. This is an interesting one for me. Planning for scalability from the word go. When do you see people make mistakes with this now? You know, every business, especially a growing business, the way or a way that is going to help you grow quickly is is to have systems in place. And then systems can also be, you know, a, a big strain sometimes if if they're not implemented correctly. So I think it's it's just thinking about any systems that you put in place from the beginning and how is that system is that system going to cope with the growth of the business and still be able to be operated at, at when you reach the target, you know, where you want to be. Um, that The answer doesn't always have to be yes, but if, it, if it's not going to be, you know, um, usable at, at the end goal, then you need to justify a reason why you put that system in, in the first place. Um, again, you know, for me, from our side of things, we mainly see that in, in the accounting side, um, which we've touched on already is a lot easier these days, but HR systems is, a, is another big HR is such a, a messy area um, that some thought that's put into that initially can can go a long way in running an efficient business. Yeah, completely agree. And one of the things that we've experienced about that scaling is we just had to rebuild our entire app, which has taken us eight months. Mm. So if you build on a platform that doesn't help you scale from day one, you get this technical debt in the business that it's called technical debt for a reason because you've got to pay it off one day. And that's what we've been doing in the last six months. I'm just going to jump across to, actually, Harry, go on the next one. Yeah, I wanted to cover, um, you raised the point of being too cheap, Sam. Um, this is something we know all too well, uh, undercharging for something, but there's kind of a, there's two sides to that, as in, um, one, you might not know how to value the service exactly, um, but then also kind of knowing your worth as well. Um, have you had any, it sounds like you've had experience 
undervaluing a service that you offer? Or is that something you see from clients? And that's one question for me to follow up with this one. Is because you've got clients from lots of different sectors, is that sort of a extra benefit of working with accountant? As in, like, actually, uh, Sam, I'm charging this much for this service, and you go, that's all, I've got four clients that are charging three times that. Is that something that comes in with the advice that an accountant gives? Yeah, definitely. We, we're kind of um, in a position to naturally benchmark against a lot of our clients, and, and that does come in, in really handy. And it, it's obviously a, a big struggle for all businesses getting the, the pricing correct. It's such a huge, a huge factor. But yeah, it's just getting back to the granularity again, I think, and, and thinking about I'm doing this one specific thing or I'm off ordering, offering this one specific product. This is what other people are charging for it or this is what you know, I think it's worth. Don't undersell yourself. If you think it's not worth that much, then then why isn't it worth that much? Um, and or or why why don't you want to sell it for that much? And if the you know specific plan to undercut a certain supply or a certain competitor, that's fine. But you need to have that that plan in place and and really justify how that affects the financials of the business. And and again, have an end date, have an end goal with that pricing strategy, not just doing it you, because you feel that that's what you should be doing. Just quantify it, justify it, and and go from there. No, I really appreciate that, Sam. So last bit that I just wanted to raise, and it sort of ties into my follow-up question to the last one, which is not seeking advice at the start in the correct areas. And you don't just mention accountancy here, we mentioned marketing, accountancy, HR, and you've then followed up with no one knows it all. And we like to cover lots of different topics on the show, but the reason that we talk about those topics is mainly down from mistakes that we've made or I've made. The thing that I know is sales and marketing, and I try and stay in my mind on that front. So what do you see across your clients when they speak to you or startups where they're making this mistake? Yeah, I think, you know, you have employees as your team and and they each have their strengths and weaknesses and that's great. Um, and, and business owners, you always have your strengths and weaknesses. It's just working out what those are and, and you're always on a learning journey as you know, Adam, I'm sure. Um, and we obviously we see it a lot in the accountancy side of things and um, Oh, you know, someone was saying to me the other day, you could do this, and you think, just speak to us about it. We'll we'll help you out, uh, rather than your friend down the pub. Um, but again, HR, we've seen, you know, really costly um, mistakes from business owners when uh, managing staff and and you know them coming into and exiting a business. That is is such a tricky area that that not seeking advice can often cost you a, a lot lot more than than just um, you know signing up for for HR advice or, or one off HR advice um, and and me personally uh, on the marketing side of things I'm no salesman <laughs> I, I I can't um, I can relate to the sales, you know, environment, but it's just not something I'm naturally good at. So we we take try and take as much advice from from outside parties and and members of the team as well who are, who are better at it than I am. Um, 
and it's just just knowing that that take advice when you need it um not being you can't do it all. advice i think is the lesson here i think it's even someone like me who we we have a list of questions today which started with uh, take adam's ego out of it because I like to think we're pretty good at what we do. But even me now, I, I'm first to put my hand up when I need help. Even when it comes down to more technical stuff, like Facebook marketing, I love. I still go and get advice from people that are just that level above me. I think one of the concerns from people is when they think about going to someone like an accountant, like someone to help with HR, because they think it's going to be very, very expensive. So I think one of the things is, is pick up the phone and ask uh, to start with, and then potentially just look for a referral within your own network of someone who can just give you that 30 minutes advice. Because from my previous experiences, the people that give you the advice for 30 minutes are the people that you then begin to trust, and then you eventually hire down, down the line. And on that note, Sam, it would be rude of me not to give you the opportunity at the end of this podcast to plug what you do and give the listener of the show, because they're predominantly in the UK, a way to reach out to you if they want to ask you a question or potentially hire you. <laughs> well, thanks very much. Um, so, yeah, we are Sidaways in... Uh, Devon in Exeter. Um, we offer accountancy services to to any kind of um, individual or business, um, and we just we like getting involved in clients' businesses and and helping them out in any way that we can. Um, mainly that's financially, but sometimes people just like to to bounce ideas off us um, whenever they want to. We always like to be open to calls and emails whenever clients like to get in touch. Um, and if anyone would like to get in touch, just drop me an email at sam at sidaways.co.uk. Um, we'd love to speak to you. Spell Sidaways. S-I-D-A-W-A-Y-S. Not quite the same uh, jingle as you guys have got going. We'll move, sadly, we're moving away from that, but you'll learn about that soon. The two T's in the middle of one S at the end is <laughs> by the time that this show goes live. Sam, one of the things that excites me most about having you on the show is one, after looking into what you guys do as a company, you clearly know your shit. Also, the fact that you act like an entrepreneur within the county firm, I think it just really, it will really resonate hard with listening to the show. So one, thank you for your time. Guys, if you listen to this right now and you want any accountancy advice, even if you just want to say thank you to Sam, it's sam at sidways.co.uk. Fire an email. Sam, any last parting words? Just like you've covered on earlier, Adam, don't be afraid of, uh, of seeking advice, especially from us um, and accountants in general. Professionals are there to help get in touch. Um, it'll make a big difference. Sam, thank you for your time. Cheers, Sam. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.